This is the Relevant Life Church podcast, where we are about connecting with God, relating to people, and reaching our world. Tune in as our church goes through this week's teaching in God's Word. Well, good morning, Relevant Life Church. Welcome in-house and online. Who's excited to be in the house of God today? I love hearing that. Um, I'm so excited for what God's going to speak today, and uh, i got to turn this off a of low-power mode, otherwise it's going to keep shutting off on me. Anyway, uh, I'm excited that you're here today. I'm excited that you prioritize. Hopefully, if you have not taken vacation already, you got something planned. If you have, that you've enjoyed your summer um, and the amazing weather we've had. Unfortunately, we've had a lot of smoke lately, which is not always fun, but God is still good. Um, before we jump into the message, I want to draw your attention to a few things. First of all, our lead pastors are still currently on vacation, um, so would you keep them in your prayers today um, and this week going forward? They'll be back in a few weeks, but they would love to love your prayers. They'd also love to hear from you. So if you have their number or social media, just reach out to them. Tell them you love them. Um, second, echoing the video, if you're new with us or newer and you've not filled out a connection card, please do that. We'd love to connect with you and get to know you. Um, this is a community that likes to have relationship, and so we'd love to take that first step and get to meet you. Third, um, will you throw that slide up for me? This morning, I drove up and found out that uh, the building right over here was on fire. And uh, that was really unfortunate. This photo doesn't fully do justice to the flames and stuff. Some of you guys might have already known this, but today, um, Pastor Jesse prayed for those families, so I'm not going to re-pray, but uh, we would like to take an opportunity, if you want to give, um, we don't have necessarily the right person we know we're going to give that to yet, but Julie's going to do the hard work of hunting somebody down to find out who best to give that money to, to help support the people and the owner, possibly, that uh, um, is at this facility right over here, and I can imagine what you'd feel if you lost everything in your home. So we're going to do our due diligence and try to figure out how to get money to help and help and bless the situation. So right now you can text on there. I also think you can go through is the outreach link just opened in the Church Center app. Perfect, cool. Yeah, so you can go in there through the City Outreach link in the Church Center app and do that. If you're online, you can do that. Anyway, uh, I think it's cool that we have an opportunity to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Yes, the situation's not good, but uh, I, I just felt, I'm like, it wouldn't be right to just pray and then move on today. I'm like, they're right there. I'm like, uh, this is what we've been talking about. This is who we are, and so we're going to do the best we can do. So say, I'm going to participate, even if it's 50 cents. No one said it. See? You, you heard the, 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 the participation, but not the money. Okay. Anyway, fall is almost around the corner, and God has got a lot of cool things coming up. Pumpkin spice is not one of them. So, so I don't care what Pastor Sarah says. She's in the sanctification process, and pumpkin spice will not be at the end of that journey. I know Jesse loves it too, but no, pumpkin spice is not of the Lord. But what is of the Lord is uh, what is of the Lord is what's coming up around the corner at, um, in the life of RLC. There's so many things. I started listing a couple, but you got the glow night coming up. Young Adults is kicking off. Um, they have an event this week, but they're kicking off for the whole month of September. We got connect groups coming in multiple locations in October. We have a second outflow event that stuff will be coming out on um, where we dismiss services and serve the city. That will be coming up. Um, we have a Thanksgiving event. We have a big church giving opportunity that's going to bless the future of our state, and I'm really excited to um, have you guys hear that. And there's so much more. So download the the Church Center app, if you've not gotten that, it's really easy. Download, make a profile, jump in there, and you can just see the list of events and how to participate. And we are excited and expecting. I hope you are too. Are you guys excited? Yeah. Amen, amen. I'm also just ready for that fall vibe. There's nothing like fall in Oregon. So anyway, with that being said, we're stepping into week five of a series we've been in called This Is Us. Turn your neighbor and say, this is, us. this is Us. I like it. I like the energy. The question we've been asking this series is, who are we as Relevant Life Church called to be? Who are we as Relevant Life Church called to be? So 
In other words, what is the unique identity that God's placed on this community, this church, in the city of Salem, in the state of Oregon, at this time in 2023? Why has he called us to be here? Why are you here? What are we called to do? See, our goal for the series is to put out in front of us what we aim to strive for so that we can pursue, protect, and promote those things. We don't want to just be floating along, right? Identities and values are not things you, you, you stumble upon. Those are things you choose. And so we've decided to take um, a couple, two months-ish of um, time to go over what we as Relevant Life Church are aiming to be. So if you've been with us for the first week, we talked about serving. Say serving. At RLC, we endeavor to meet the needs of others through giving of ourselves and our resources. This means we actively serve the body of Relevant Life Church, but also we just walk around with a servant's heart. We, we walk around with eyes to see and how to serve at our jobs. Even if you don't want to serve the person because they're annoying, you still serve, right? Because that's who you're called to be. That's who Relevant Life Church is called to be. Jesus himself served. That's what he defined greatness as. Core value number two is being Christ-centered. At RLC, we work to have an intimate relationship with Jesus. Say intimate relationship. And you can't have an intimate relationship unless that relationship begins to shift your priorities and your beliefs and your choices and your relationships. And so that's what we believe being Christ-centered means. And core value number three, which we covered last week, was Holy Spirit. Say Holy Spirit. And we talked about who he is, what he does, and most importantly, pursuing how this community is, is, is committed to pursuing a deeper relationship with him and also the work he wants to do in our lives. God wants to do a work in our lives, and the Holy Spirit empowers that work, and so we're passionate about that. And today, the fourth value of this series we're stepping into is the best core value of them all. And yes, I'm allowed to say that, not because it's necessarily better than the others, but because today's core value is where we get our church name, and that is the core value of relevant. Yeah. So turn here and say, relevant life, baby. I love it. I was testing you guys. See, some of you guys are like, I refuse to say it like that. I'm not even going to speak. I'm just going to look at you with a sealed mouth. It's fine. We'll, we'll get to you. The Holy Spirit will come in and make you more excited about life. Okay. Anyway, at Relevant Life Church, we aim to effectively connect to our culture without compromising the Word of God. We, effect, we aim to effectively connect to our culture without compromising the Word of God. Now, to begin this morning, I just want to start off by calling out the tension that often surrounds this word, Relevant, okay? I've been a part of Relevant Life Church since the inception of Relevant Life Church, since the name of Relevant Life Church came to be. And since then, I've heard several sarcastic comments about us being the relevant church. I probably even made some myself, honestly. Also, whether people actually think this or it's just in my head, at times I've perceived that others hear that I'm a part of the church named Relevant Life Church, and they go, oh, you're just that one church trying to fit into culture, so that means you're compromising the gospel, right? Like there's like, like this negative connotation. Um, I even heard a pastor from a different part of the country this last year at a pastor's conference say he hated or didn't like the word relevant. Now, in his defense, he had no idea that pastors in the room that he were talking to were a part of a church named Relevant Life Church, but still, he said that. And in me bringing this up today, I just want to point out that there is some, there's some odd feelings toward the word relevant, especially in church culture. What does it even mean to be relevant nowadays? In such a fast-paced culture, how can things remain relevant can Christians be relevant? How do they be relevant? Does them being relevant just equal compromising to, to make the gospel relevant? And today I don't intend to give a message that satisfies all these questions, but I am excited to talk about this word and this core value of being relevant because I love this church name. And you want to know why? Because this church name, when we chose to identify ourselves as this 15 years ago, puts a certain level of expectation on the lifestyle that we live. It puts a certain level of expectation on what our church does. It puts an expectation on how we're supposed to live with Jesus and for Jesus. We're not just copping out. We're not, we're not just the neighborhood church, and there's people that I know that have neighborhood church. I'm not knocking out that. We're not just that church that's around here that's just for us. 
We're the relevant life church. Why? Because Jesus is relevant and we think his followers should be too. And so the title of my message this morning is how do we live up to the name relevant life? How do you live up to the name relevant life? And I'm really excited. So I'd encourage you, this is not going to be one of those happy, fancy messages, but it's going to challenge you. And that's supposed to be good. That's supposed to happen. And so be open and go, God, how do I live up to this name relevant life more in my life? So would you pray with me? God, I just thank you so much for this opportunity, God, that I have to come and present your word. God, I pray that um, as I put time into this, God, I pray that um, the words would come forth clearly. God, I pray over people right now. God, there's some people that have been hesitant and scared. God, they're, they're worried what people will think if they know they're a Christian, God, or, or they're worried that the perceptions of Christianity cause people to not like them, or whatever it is. God, I come against the lies of the enemy. God, because you are relevant. God, you are relevant. God, what you call us to live out is relevant, God to every situation and to every need. And so I pray that today, God, this would be one of those seeds planted, God, that we would see fruit to come in the days ahead, God, because we realize, God, this is who we chose to call ourselves. Relevant life, God, this is who we are, God, and this is what we want to be. And so we just thank you for it. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. 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 By raising hands, has anyone ever grown up or lived in a neighborhood where you had a police officer and a firefighter as a neighbor? Anyone? Okay, a couple of you guys. Okay. So in my childhood, growing up for the vast majority of my upbringing, I lived in the same house and same neighborhood. And if I remember like correctly, there was a time where I had both a police officer and a firefighter as neighbors. And at some point, I had this revelation in my life that that, per, like, that provoked a certain number of feelings inside of my heart. Has anyone who has ever lived by that, has that caused some certain feelings in your heart? Anyone? That's, yeah, a couple of you. Okay. So. Maybe he just stresses you out and you're like, I got to slow down because this guy could be radaring me from his front window. I don't know. Maybe, you're, maybe you're, uh, your neighbor is like a firefighter and so on the 4th of July you bring two fire hydrants and a hose so he's not judging you when you start setting fireworks off. I have no idea. I'm just making this up. But for me, in my young thinking in life, I thought, man, this, this provokes a certain level of feelings. And I don't remember when I had this revelation. I think this was later on. But growing up, I think this is what existed in my mind. See, in my young, overactive imagination, I thought that if there was ever a fire at my house, like I was set, right? Because this firefighter would just know that a fire happened, he would come save me in my house. Like I didn't even have to call 911, like he's there, right? He's my neighbor. Don't laugh at me, okay? Um, or if there was ever a break-in, like, I don't know, the cops got like a, 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 a millionth sense, and he just knows, so he's going to come over and tase the guy. I don't know realistically how this would have worked out, but for some reason, it, it provoked a certain level of feelings in me. Um, and that's because there was a certain level of comfort and peace knowing that I had someone next to me that was relevant to a certain life situation, right? This word relevant means closely connected or appropriate to what is being done or considered appropriate to the current time, period, or circumstance. I like to summarize relevant as applicable to the current situation. Say applicable to the current situation. See, come a certain emergency scenario in my life, I had individuals that would be relevant to those situations. And with this realization came certain positive emotions and feelings in me. And if I remember correctly, I think it was just like the last couple of years that God kind of brought all this to my mind because I was walking through my, neighbor, my new neighborhood that I now live in as an adult and there was a police officer in the neighborhood and this, this whole thing started happening. And as I bring this up today because a while back while processing these thoughts, God brought into my heart and mind the question, so if this is how you felt knowing a police officer or a firefighter lived next to you, how would people feel if they knew there was a Christian living in their neighborhood? How would people feel if they knew there was a Christian living in their neighborhood? In other, words, in other words, like the police officer or firefighter that provokes certain feelings in me, what sort of feelings would people possess based on knowing that you are a Christian? 
How would they feel knowing that it was a Christian person or a Christian family living in that house in their neighborhood? How would your coworkers feel that the person they were working long hours with was a Christian? How would the, 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 the cashier at the register at the store feel knowing that they were checking out a Christian? And I might be just going too deep into this, but really think with me, like, how would people feel? Would it matter to them? Would, would that, that knowledge like, provoke positive feelings or negative feelings? Would they feel grateful that they had a person living next to them in their neighborhood that was someone that was of God that was praying over their neighborhood? Or would they just feel um, uncomfortable and guarded and insecure because their knowledge of Christians was one that is judgmental, cold, and, and hypocritical? Would that coworker be willing to talk about their life and the struggles they're facing and, and maybe even allow you to, to pray or, or to speak wisdom with them? Or would they feel guarded because they didn't want to just keep hearing the Christianese answers that you were spewing over and over again? How would people feel if they knew that, that one person was a Christian? How would people feel if they knew that you were a Christian? Now, in asking these questions today, I recognize that some of you, you've already taken some bold steps and your neighbors recognize you're a Christian. You're doing an awesome job, which is super cool. Some of you, um, your, your coworker knows you are a Christian. But regardless of where we land in this conversation, we need to ask the difficult but necessary question, could people who I do life with write off the person of Jesus because the way I'm carrying him seems irrelevant to their life and needs? I want that to settle in. Could people who you do life with feel and write off the person of Jesus, feel like he's irrelevant to their life and needs because the way you are living in other words, is the way I'm living life with Jesus and for Jesus relevant to people or not? And I haven't done a survey, but my guess would be there's a, there's a certain number of, number of people that don't think Jesus or his Christians are relevant. And saying this, I realize like we can't control people's perceptions. As much as oftentimes that hurts us and pains us and we want to have control, you can't control people's perceptions. You can't control their thoughts. But we can control our actions and we can't control our life, and we can't control our representation of Jesus, and hopefully show the world just how relevant he truly is. Charles Spurgeon said, we're not responsible to God for the souls that are saved, but we are responsible for the gospel that is preached and the way in which we preach it. See, I would argue that Christians to be the most relevant people to ever walk this planet. Why? Because this world is full of need, and me and you know the greatest message, the most relevant message with the most relevant figure in the, in the history of mankind. His name's Jesus, and he's here to meet everyone's needs. We should be the most relevant. There's no question about it. That when people say the gospel, the Bible's irrelevant, you're not understanding what I understand. That it is the most relevant thing that this world, that is in this world. Jesus was and is and always will be relevant. In people's mountaintop experiences when they don't think they need a God, Jesus is relevant. In their worst valley moments, Jesus is relevant. In the greatest days of their life, he is relevant. In their worst nightmares, he is relevant. In people's practical, emotional, physical, spiritual, relational needs, he is relevant. The problem is, will people who don't know him get to encounter him because of us or not? See, the harsh reality we have to come to grips with is that how we carry the message often can de determine whether or not Jesus is seen as relevant to someone else. See, because Jesus uses us to point out who he is. So if people don't think he's relevant, then it comes down to the messenger, not the message. Gandhi captured this predicament well by saying, I like your Christ, but I don't like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. 
And this is where the true understanding of relevance needs to come into, come into play today. So let's look at relevant once again. It means closely connected or appropriate to what is being done or considered appropriate to the current time, period, or circumstances. Now, this is a great definition, but I think a lot of people misunderstand when they read this definition what it's actually saying. We look at the term um, appropriate to a current time, and instead we see acceptable in a current time. And this is why I think relevance has become such a negative thing in Christian culture. Oh, you're striving to be relevant. That means you're trying to be accepted by culture. But here's what I want us to grasp. Something does not have to be accepted to be relevant. Something can be appropriate and suitable and applicable to a situation without being accepted. You speed 60 miles over in a school zone and you get a ticket. You may not want to accept it, but is that applicable and appropriate to the situation? If you go to the doctor because you're not feeling well and the doctor says you have these things and you need to do this to get over it, you may not want to accept the diagnosis, but at the end of the day, is it, a, is it applicable to the situation? It's relevant. See, relevance means it's what the situation needs. It's not always what the situation wants. And I want to just cut that right now because every time, there's so many people I think that come to Relevant Life Church or that have looked at Relevant Life Church and they completely understand why we chose the name relevant. It wasn't because we're trying to be accepted. It's because we're trying to show the world what it needs. And this is why we aim to be relevant. We believe the world needs more of Jesus. This doesn't mean we aim for the world to accept us or agree with us. This does not mean we compromise what we believe. This means that we believe what we have matters so much, we will do everything in our power to make Jesus accessible to every person. And if they choose to reject them, that's on them, but it won't be on account of our lives and how I live and how you live. And they won't reject it because of that. So how do we do this? I know this is a heavy message because some of you guys are just sitting there real quiet, but it's all right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring some, 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 some uh, direction to how we live this out. And here's what I want to say before I get into this. God does not expect perfection, and God will work despite your imperfection. So every time you failed to represent him greatly, it doesn't matter. The Holy Spirit is greater than your misrepresentation. The Holy Spirit works in ways I've seen it work in my life. Some of the worst sermons I've preached have been the ones I've had most compliments on. Why? Because the Holy Spirit was moving, not Trenton. Right. At the end of the day, like, some, like the one person in my life that I felt like I had the most um, influence in leading to Jesus, I go, I did nothing. I didn't even know what I was doing. It was definitely the Holy Spirit at work. So at the end of the day, like I want to bring peace and comfort to go, it's outside of your control, but you also need to control what you can control. Yeah. So how do we do this? With the remaining time left today, I want to answer this question by looking at the passage of Scripture that was given to our lead pastor 15 years ago when God gave him the name Relevant Life Church. And I, there's a lot of context surrounding this passage of Scripture, but I want to give to you just, just the um, relevant information, if, if you would. See what I did there? Um, so, so what do we need to do? Um, the few verses we're about to read this morning are found in the middle of a super tense moment in the history of the nation of Israel. If you read the Old Testament— You'll find a point in time where the nation of Israel asked God for a king. And long story short, God gives him, a, gives him a king. His name's Saul. But Saul falls short of God's expectation of what a king should do and be um, as the king of his nation, of his people. So God ends up finding another king by the name of David, and, and the Bible labels him as a man after God's own heart. But the transition between Saul and David is not a fast one. Matter of fact, there's, there's periods of Saul trying to kill David. There's a ton of drama that unfolds. And even after Saul finally dies, David still doesn't step in as king. Saul's, one of Saul's sons steps in as king. But David does become king over one, one part of the nation of Israel, Judah. And from what I can understand, he's, it's this way for about seven years. So Saul's son is, is, is king over the rest, and, and David's over this one part named Judah. 
until a moment takes place where a bunch of men gather together to, to make David king. They go, this is what God wants, and this is what we're going to do. They gather together to make him king, which is where we're going to read today. So 1 Chronicles chapter 12, verse 23 says, These are the numbers of men armed for battle who came to David at Hebron for, um, to turn Saul's kingdom over to him. As the Lord had said, okay? And then the writers of Chronicle, the, the author of Chronicles starts to list all these groups of men that come to, to make David king. And in the middle of that, this is where we get our church name, verse 32, it says, from Issachar, men who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. Men who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. And then he keeps listing things, um, the, the author does. And then he says, all these were fighting men who volunteered to serve in the ranks. They came to Hebron fully determined to make David king over Israel. Okay, so what's the takeaway? So in the middle of this, this tense historical moment, the author of Chronicles decides to capture in one sentence this group of people we know very little about except for a few powerful details. And those details are they were people who understood the times and knew what should be done. They understood the times and they knew what should be done. And that's where we get our name Relevant Life Church. So how do we live up to the name Relevant Life today? Number one, we need to understand the times. Turn your neighbor say understand the times. What do I mean by understand the times? Again, this word relevant means appropriate or applicable to a certain situation. So we have to ask, how can we purposely be relevant or fitting or applicable to a certain situation unless we first understand the situation? Understand means to have a thorough acquaintance with something. In other words, you grasp or comprehend it. You're familiar with it. This means the only way you can understand something is by spending time, thought, and energy with or towards that something. This is why young people spend the first two decades of their life in school. Why? Because they're trying to understand things. We're, we're having them take time to understand this. Now, this is not rocket science. Right? We understand this when it comes to education. It takes time to understand. When you're onboarding at a new job, they, take, they realize it takes time for you to understand. When, when it comes to um, making big life decisions, we understand that it takes time to understand. Yet in church, it often seems like we're frustrated with our perceived lack of relevance to the time, situation, and culture that we're living in. We wonder why we have little relevance and influence in the major problems going on today. And yes, part of it's because people just write us off and don't want to hear what we have, have to say. It's why, why separation of church has become a big thing. It's why religion has been removed or is being removed from so many arenas in life. But the other part that we may not want to consider today because it takes us, requires us taking some of the blame is that maybe we've removed ourselves as the church from having a voice because we've secluded ourselves and stopped trying to understand what's going on in the world. Yeah. See, instead of caring, trying to be involved and in being students of what's going on around us, we have, we have just settled waiting for those around us to understand us, to be students of the church, to follow the church. Bo Taplin said it this way, we're all so desperate to be understood, we forget to be understanding. How many battles has the church fought going, understand us, follow us, but we're not understanding to what's going on out there? I'm sure many of us have heard it said before, you can be so heavenly minded in your own earthly good, and you can be so earthly minded that you're no heavenly good. And this week, as I was thinking through this principle of understanding the times, these statements seem so accurate to the one of the two responses that we often take when it comes to understanding the times. See, on one hand, we sometimes live so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good, right? We live caring less about what's going on on, on earth. We, we, live, we live with a secured ticket to heaven, and we just hunker down in our Christian knowledge and circles and wait for Jesus to come back, right? We, we live with an almost ignoring approach. And clearly this makes Jesus irrelevant because it makes Jesus inaccessible to everyone that doesn't know Jesus already. 
But on the other hand, sometimes we live so earthly-minded that we're no heavenly good. We live so focused on the world and act so similar to the world. And in doing so, we make the message of Jesus irrelevant because the way we're living makes Jesus seem no different from anything else in the world. Why would people stop living the way they're doing or stop doing what they're doing when you're telling them to come live for Jesus, but you look exactly like them? It makes no sense. It's like Jesus becomes irrelevant. This is why we're not called to conform to the world, but be transformed and then live different from the world. And again, that's a fine line. It's not, it's not forget the world because I'm living different, but it's also not live like the world because, because, because I need to make Jesus accessible. So the question is, how do we appropriately understand the times? And I love this statement. You can't understand someone until you have walked a mile in their shoes. I think this statement does an excellent job in encapsulating what it means to understand the times. See, it's hard to give the correct solution to a problem if you don't know the problem. And it's hard to know the problem unless you take time to understand it. We have to recognize that Jesus is the solution that the world does not know it needs or doesn't think it needs. That's, how, that's your starting point. So no wonder it's hard. It's not supposed to be easy. And the only way we show them he is the solution is by taking time to understand their story and their life experience and why they've ended up where they have ended up. So then we know best way possible to bring the person and the message of Jesus close to them. And this means that we have to take enough time to care about people. They're not our Christian projects. They're, they're not, they're not uh, our, 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 uh, our, our salvation projects. Sure, you can be aiming towards it, but that, they're people. Understand people. Don't start going, man, oh, yeah, that's my salvation project. Do you understand them? Do you care about them? Mark 2 says this, While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but to call sinners. I love Jesus' response in these verses. He was with people that needed him, even if they didn't know it. To the religious, he labeled them as sick. But I doubt he walked in Levi's house and was like, hey, I'm looking for like a project for people that get saved. You're sick. Are you guys, like you fit the bill. You guys want in? Like I'm here to save you. Like that's not how Jesus started. He just went in and spent time with them. He went in, he worked to understand them. And we should follow this example. We don't start by telling the world it's wrong. No wonder people don't like us. No wonder they see that person on the street corner of Disneyland, and I felt convicted because I judged this person. We were just in Disneyland, and this guy is like shouting Turner Burn messages, and I'm like, bro, like I'm a pastor, and this is the last thing that I would have started with in America. Like maybe in a different country that I don't know the context, but you just yelling at people they're wrong is not going to work. And I judged him, and I felt convicted because the Holy Spirit said, Trent, you don't have as much confidence or boldness to do that. And I was like, okay, Lord, I'm sorry. Like that hurt. That was another correction. But at the same time, like I don't think that's the relevant way you get to tell people about Jesus. See, at some point, we, we, we want to show people the love of Jesus, but we don't start with Jesus or, or the problem that's wrong. We start with understanding them. We need, we need the eyes of Jesus in Matthew 9, 36. It says, he saw the crowds and he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless. Now, in saying all this, I'm not saying that in our attempts to understand people and culture, we allow the lifestyles and beliefs of culture to negatively influence God's expectation for our walk with him. 
This is why the word relevant oftentimes gets associated with compromise. Because in people's attempts to be relevant, they compromise. But last, yesterday, actually, I was reading Jude. And um, Jude one i I'm reading from the message translation. But it says this, go on, or go easy on those who hesitate in the faith. Go after those who take the wrong way. Be tender with sinners, but not soft on sin. The sin itself stinks to high heaven. So there's this fine line. There's, there can be a tender Tenderness towards people and a broken world, but there also can be an abstinence to the sin. And I think you have to have the Holy Spirit's help in in, in determining how you're going to walk that road with somebody. Again, you're not going to do what you're doing is wrong, but but you have to to be wise enough to go, I'm not going to participate in what's wrong either. Also in saying this, I'm not okaying someone's obsession over the negativity in, in the times we're living in. And this is going to step on some toes. See, understanding and obsession are two different things. It's one thing to purposefully and intentionally understand, thing, uh, understand something. It's completely a different thing for that thing to dictate your life, steal your peace of mind, and make you lose trust in God. Watching the television every night, I don't think is qualified as understanding the times. You Sure, you can watch the news, but like, are you spending equal or more time in God's word? I'm like, I don't know about you, but like, there's little I can watch or go read on CNN before I start to feel an anxiety rise up in my heart. So we need to be proactive in understanding the times, but stay even more proactive in understanding the Bible. Carl Barth said it this way, we must hold the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. You must hold the Bible, your YouVersion app open, as well as having CNN open. Okay, like that's a modern day translation. There's got to be a balance. So understanding the time then leads to understanding what to do. Number two, understanding what to do. And unfortunately, I think as we begin to step in and understand the times, the temptation for us to respond in one of two negative ways occurs. Response number one is we understand the times, but the weight of that understanding begins to defeat us, um, cause anxiety, and cause us to feel helpless because it's just a lot, right? The times can be depressing. So what we choose to do is absolutely nothing, right? Because we believe us doing something won't make a dent in what is going on anyways. It's why when people are like, I don't want to vote because it doesn't matter anyway. Well, that's like not a good trust in God, okay? Like, I mean, like doing nothing does nothing for you. So you can just keep wallowing in your helplessness. You can go, no, God put me here for such a time as this. I'm gonna participate. Response number two is we understand the times and the reality of what's going on annoys us, makes us angry, or causes us to become judgmental towards the world. So what we choose to do is take out on the world our feelings towards the world, which accomplishes absolutely nothing, right? Like these are the two like typical responses I find myself choosing. But what should our response be to understanding the times? First Chronicles, 12, 1 Chronicles 12 actually reveals what we should be doing. Verse 23 says, These are the numbers of the men armed for battle who came to David at Hebron to turn Saul's, Saul's kingdom over to, the, to him as the Lord had said. As the Lord had said. ESV says, according to the word of the Lord. See, by making the statement, the author of Chronicles points out that these people were doing what was based, or they were doing um, based off of what God had told them to do. It didn't say they went to Hebron because they wanted to do it or they felt like it. They went to Hebron because God told them to do it. They know God wanted them to do it. And this may be elementary, but, but, what, is, but what else do we have in, in, in understanding what to do at the times? We do what God tells us to do. So what does God call us to do? 
call us to do. And this was like, I, I got to this point of the message. And I'm like, how do I encapsulate this? I'm like, this is like a whole like multi-year, multi-life like thing to understand. How, how do I help people grasp this? As a matter of fact, we spent like five months at the beginning of this year talking about loving where you live. This is what God wants us to do. But today I want to just rapid fire a couple passages of scripture and let you mull on them. So Matthew 5, 14 through 16 says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill that cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, the same way they put it on a stand, it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So once we understand the times, typically we see they're dark, right? Well, good thing that you're called to be a light. It's that simple. I mean, I, I don't know like, how else to make this clear. First Peter 2.12, live, su- live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Visits us. Well, once we understand the, the times, we realize how many bad things are happening. Well, good thing that you are called to do good things in the world. 2 Corinthians 5, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. Once we understand the world, we typically see how broken it is. Good good thing we brought the reconciler, the healer, with us. We're carrying him around daily. Once we understand the times, sometimes we feel like we're foreigners living in a foreign land. Well, good thing you're actually called to be ambassadors that are representing your homeland of heaven to the land around you. This is what we're supposed to do amid the times, and we overcomplicate this. And at this point, I get where the devil's advocate and some heads might be going, okay, Trenton, I get this, but like the times we're living in are complex. How do I show that Jesus is relevant to things like hatred and racism and gender confusion and self-absorption and the lying and the deceit? I feel unqualified, and I have three quick responses. First of all, God doesn't call people who are qualified. He calls the people that he calls. He qualifies the people that he calls. And that's a popular Christian sentiment, but it is so true. He qualifies you as you come. Second, the main qualification he's looking for is not the ability to do something, but the willingness to do it. Isaiah 6, 8, then I heard the, vo- the Lord asking, whom shall I send as a messenger to his people? Who will go for us? And he said, here I am, send me. God is looking for availability. It's why this morning, I don't know how we're going to get the money to the people in the house over there, but I'm not going to just stand there and go, oh, God, please be with them, and then move on. No, like, that's not relevance. I see the situation. We're understanding the times. How do we figure out what to do? I don't have the solution yet. We're going to try to work on it, but we're not going to stop short and just go, oh, well, it'd be nicer if we knew the people better. Like, no, we, we can give effort, and I don't know what that's going to look like, but I'm not going to stand up here and preach relevance and not try. Third, the best way to lead people to life-changing power of Jesus is for your life to be changed first. Just like you can't offer to a solution, a solution to a problem you don't know, you can't give a solution that you have not experienced and have yourself. Sometimes the best place to begin doing something for this world is to begin letting God do something in you. You can't expect the world to figure out its confusion and hatred and deceit before you let Jesus begin to figure those things out inside of you. I love J.J. Vasquez. This is about preaching. But he said, I want, I want to grow myself and then start preaching out of my growth instead of trying to preach so other people can grow. And I think this is applicable. You let Jesus impact you and you impact them out of your impact that Jesus has done in you, not just tell them how to be impacted by Jesus. So after understanding the times and understanding to do what to do, there's one last thing. We have to decide what to do with it. 
to decide what to do with it. I think many, of all, uh, many, if not all of us, have at some point in our life asked the question, why on earth, of all the places and of all the time periods, was this the one that God chose to put me in? I don't know if you ever thought that. I've definitely spent time thinking about that. Like, why was I not placed in a different country? Why was I placed here? And maybe that was in a moment of grateful reflection, like, thank goodness I have running water, a toilet, and like, like vehicles that are gas powered and can move. Now they're even electric powered, okay? Like, thankfully, I have these things in my life. Maybe you're like, God, why was I born in this period? Could I have been in, born into a, 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 a place in, in time that was less complicated? And I don't know if that's at, like, even possible because humanity is always complicated, but maybe you felt that way. I've definitely been on both sides of this before. But the realization that we all have to come to is we may have not gotten the choice to land in the time period we landed in, but we do get a choice of what we do with the time that we were given. And that's one of the most impactful ongoing decisions of your life. What will you choose to do with your time? And when it comes to living up to the name relevant life, it's a decision we must daily choose to make. Will we just live heavenly minded knowing our tickets secured in heaven and just wait, hunker down and wait for Jesus to come back? We just live earthly-minded however we feel like, knowing that God's grace is good and it will all line up and we'll be forgiven in the end. Or will we live the relevant life, bearing the person of Jesus to a lost and dying world that desperately needs him, to our circles that are dying and going to hell? You work with people that will never step foot in this building, and I will never know, but they could be going to hell, and you are the one God is choosing to use. And that's not pressure to be like, no, oh, I gotta bring my Bible to work tomorrow. No, like, have you taken time to understand them? Do you know how Jesus could be relevant to their life? Because you don't know them, it's really hard to show them Jesus. It's our choice. And in 1 Chronicles, I love how the author describes the men who came to David to make David king. It says they came to Hebron fully determined to make David king over Israel. Fully determined. So they understood the times, they knew what to do, and they decided to walk it out. And now the choice is in our court as Relevant Life Church. We are called to be relevant. Will we do it? This is us. This is who we are. And we make that decision, but we have to also understand the cost. And I would love to just breeze over this and leave this inspirational moment where I put this weight on you, but I can't, can't finish this without making you realize that there's a cost to living relevant life. Peter describes believers in 1 Peter 2.11. He says, as aliens and strangers in this world. In other words, Christians don't and will not fit in. And that's not what God called us to. That's not what relevance is. A relevant life is showing the world what it needs, not living in the way the world will understand or accept. Jesus was the most relevant being to walk this earth, and his relevance cost him his life. We can't expect anything short of us. And I don't know about physical life. We live in a country with a lot of amazing religious freedoms. But I also can't guarantee you that it's not going to cost you a couple of relationships. I also can't guarantee you it's not going to cost you some, some, some odd looks. I also can't guarantee you that it's not going to cost you some privileges or, or some comfort. Jesus was the most relevant being to walk this earth, but his relevance cost him his life. And as much as people loved his relevant message, they also hated it. And those who decide to walk out this life have to recognize the same thing. Matthew 10, tells us, you will be hated by everyone because of me. But doing nothing because we are scared of the cost is missing out on one of the main things we were saved for. In my master's recently, I read this book called, um, I'll just slip my mind, what was the book title? Uh, the Continuing Conversion of the Church. Sorry, sorry, it came back to me. And uh, in this book, it was basically talking about how in America or Western culture specifically, we have reduced the gospel. 
So we, we tell people, hey, come, come accept this gospel, this good news that Jesus has saved you. But then we almost remove the lordship of Jesus as well. See, Jesus did not save you just so you could have the benefits. He saved you so that you would use the benefits to save others. And for some reason, we have separated this. So you come into church today, yes, you're saved. You're going to heaven. But Jesus didn't just save you so you could warm a seat. He saved you so that you could save other people. And like, that sounds so, like, it's ridiculous to me and it's ridiculous to myself that I have to tell myself this. Like, this is second nature. Like, this was second nature to the early church. They didn't separate it. Jesus came and he was telling people about him. The church got saved, filled with the Holy Spirit. They didn't stop doing anything. They spread out. They told people about Jesus. Now we have to coach people people and put it in our, in our mission statement that we have to be missional. Like we're missing the point. And that may feel a little bit condemning, but like wake, I want us to wake up and feel, recognize what the, what the gospel was. It was Jesus save me, now use me. Jesus save me, now, now I'm here to live life with you and glorify you. I'm here to show people about you. This is why my, my life verse, Acts 20, 24, says, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. So in closing today, I want you to ask yourself again, could people who I do life with write off the person of Jesus because the way I'm carrying him seems irrelevant to their life and needs? Today, I wanted to call you to be a person that's a part of this community and lives out the name of this community. I wanna call you to be a person that recognizes how much influence you could have in someone's life, that your smile could change someone's day, that your attitude that does not get defeated by hardship can be tied back to Jesus. You could be the person that goes, man, like you just got chewed out by this person. Why is your attitude good? I don't know, because Jesus is so good. It doesn't matter what that person thinks of me. I mean, you could be that person, and I'm not standing up here saying this. I've figured this out. I am just as convicted. I don't know why God chose me to preach this message. I chose this topic, started writing the message, and I go, God, like, this is something I am so bad at at times. I used to cop out that, like, I live my life trying to get people to you, so I don't always have to do that in my neighborhood. Like, I don't even know how many people in my neighborhood know that I'm a pastor. My interactions with my neighbors are limited. I'm more of, of an introvert, so I have to put all my extrovertness into our church typically. And so I just seclude myself as much as possible. I'll smile and wave, but that's about it. And that's convicting. Like no one else is living in, in, in West Salem on the street I do that I know that's called to do what I'm supposed to call, like, call to do. And I have no idea the steps forward. I don't know. I've already had conversations. Where I just walk up and knock on their door and say, I'm a Christian. I'd love to tell Jesus about you. You're sick. Like, no. I don't know. So I'm here today putting this out to go, this is us. This is who we're called to be. This is who we're called to be. And so today as I close, I just want, I just want to take a few moments. I want to give you guys a little bit of time of quiet and just ask God, like, what are you trying to say to me today? Where do I need to change today? How do I need to be relevant, more relevant today? There's a lot of information shared, but I believe that God is so good. He can lead you. And again, he's not expecting perfection. He's expecting availability. And there's people in this world that need Jesus and Jesus gave them you. And we think that Jesus is relevant and that we should be too. So God, today we just come before you. God, we thank you, God, that God, you placed this church decades ago in this city. God, you gave us these locations. God, you've given us each person in here, God, to steward. God, I pray that we would be good stewards of the gift of salvation that we've been given. 
God, you're the most relevant God ever to any situation. God, as those people this morning lost their house, God, to fire, lost belongings, God, you're relevant to that situation. God, the most rich and most successful person in this city may have convinced themselves they are full and set for life, God, but you are still relevant to their life. God, and I pray that we would be messengers of that relevance. God, that we would be, would be the people that carry the application of you everywhere we go, to every situation. God, as our world is hurting, God, as there is so much confusion, God, and, 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 and post-traumatic stress from COVID, God, and, and, and all these different things, God, strongholds, the enemy has been allowed to build in minds and in, in, in organizations and structures. God, you are relevant, God, to the situations. God, you can't tell me you're not relevant, God, when, when, when Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego go get, get taken from their homeland and put in a different nation, God, and they become some of the most relevant individuals. Why? Just because they were living you. God, and we can be that today. God, so help us not to be people that keep this message to ourselves. God, but us to be people that, that spread this message to others. God, and right now I come against the condemnation, God, that comes in multiple ways. God, in my life, it's come in the fact that I've missed out on opportunities past. We refute that, God. The Holy Spirit's using that to propel us forward, not to keep us held back. God, I also refute the condemnation that says it's just too hard or it's gonna be too awkward. God, God, you are so good. You are so gracious. God, you can work through us. God, we pray for the Holy Spirit, just like we learned last week. God, we ask for more of the Holy Spirit. We speak, seek more of the Holy Spirit, God, to fill us and make us vessels for you. God, and we just thank you for it today. God, we thank you for this community, God. God, we thank you for, for the, the family that we have here. God, and I pray that we would be individuals, God, that are, are people that live a relevant life. God, and we just thank you for it so much today. And we love you. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. I always forget to do this, but I'm gonna invite the prayer team up today. I remember Larry, you can't, can't smite me later. He never, he never says anything. And then I'm like looking back at my message. I'm like, I miss saying it. No. Anyway, so um, they're up here and they wanna pray with you, whatever your need is. And I believe that prayer works. I really do. Just like that song we sang, same God. He, he is the same God that answered prayers back then. He'll answer them today. And so if you need prayer, come up here. Again, don't forget about what's coming around um, in the fall, this um, around the corner. I don't know what I'm trying to say, but pay attention, be a part. We love to to get to connect with you more and have an amazing week. We'll see you in the weeks to come. Here at Relevant Life Church, it's our mission to see people connect with God, relate to one another, and reach our world. This single statement drives everything we do as a church. Our hope is that today you were encouraged in this. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.